Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by the organisation Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. And in case you're worried that our content might be only relevant to people living in South Africa, Please don't be. Our content often touches on global issues relating to accessible travel. And we have international guests as well as talking to South Africans about their travels in South Africa and overseas. So you won't be left out if you live other than in South Africa. Hajj is an important religious observance for those who follow the Muslim faith. And in today's interview, we talk with Zachariah Muller about his experiences going on Hajj as a person with a visual impairment. And this was a fascinating interview for me because I learned so much about a topic that I really didn't understand before. Then it's time for us to head out for a cup of coffee in a rather special coffee shop. If you are a person with a disability who travels and would like to share your story, or if you know of someone who travels and has a disability, please let us know. We'd love to share their story. You can email us on podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za or you can tweet me on at loestrachenza. Right, let's meet Zachariah Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we're chatting to Zachariah Muller, who is visually impaired. And Zachariah lives in my hometown, the town where I grew up and the town where I lost my, was living when I lost my sight. And Zachariah and I have been chatting for some time, and he was one of the people who always gives great information about new apps, and included amongst those was an app that he suggested that I try which is a GPS app. So I found Zachariah would be a great person to to chat to on the podcast. Zachariah, thanks so much for joining us on A Different Way of Traveling. It is really great to have you with us. Thank you very much, Louise. I, re- I really appreciate it. It's my only pleasure. Well, it's lovely. And thanks for making the time to just chat to us today. Maybe we can start off by... Just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, and the type of work that you do. Okay, I was uh, born in Durban. I schooled in Primaritzburg at the Arthur Blacksall School for the Blind. It was formerly the New Horizon School uh, when I was there, but in 1996, 
the name uh, changed to Arthur Black Soul School. Um, I finished matric and then I went to University of Natal, Durban, the same one where you studied. Correct. Uh, I completed the Bachelor of Social Science degree. And currently I have my own business uh, where I retail stationery uh, for the last 10 years. And yeah. That's about it. And you yourself are visually impaired? Yes, yes, I am. I've been visually impaired since birth. Since birth. You did say so. Right. Okay. Zachary, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the travels that you've done. <coughs> okay. <clears throat> Interesting enough, I, 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 my first overseas trip was in 1989 when I went to Saudi Arabia for a, a minor pilgrimage called Umrah. Uh, I'll just clarify that because after that, of course, I went on the major one a few years later. But just to mention where I've been, in 1989, I went for Umrah in, during the December holidays. Then in 1993, I went also in the same period. Then in 1995, I went to Dubai and I went to the UK. Uh, that was in December 1995 till the end of January 1996. Then after that, I, I went during the whole of Ramadan. I went also to for, for Umrah again. That's in touch to Saudi Arabia. Then in uh, in 2003 and 2016, that's when I did the the Hajj, which is the major pilgrimage. Um, also, I went to India in 2004, and just this year in September, I went to Turkey and I went to Palestine. So that's been my overseas travels. Locally, I've been to Cape Town a few times. I've been to Johannesburg. Uh, I've been to the Free State. Uh, I've also been in areas around Durban, like uh, Margate. And also, uh, I've been to St. Lucia, an area called Sesu, where I've been there. So, yeah, that's about it. Well, that's quite extensive travels. And there's some, some interesting countries and experiences there that they included in the list. But maybe we can dig down a little deeper into how you travel. What are the, the, some of the logistics of how you navigate the places that you go to, some of the technology that you use, and some of the things that really impact on your ability to get around when you travel. Okay, I mean, of course, in the in the old days, things were a lot different. Of course, we never had smartphones. Uh, one of the I'd like to share an experience that in the very first time when, when I traveled. For Umrah, that was in 19, just, just for the listeners to understand, the, the Umrah is the minor pilgrimage, which you can perform anytime, uh, you know, in the year, except during the, see, the, the period of Hajj is once a year that happens. So other than that, once that one uh, month in the year, you can perform the minor, which is called Umrah, which you can perform at, at, at any given time. So. I remember when we first went on the Umrah trip uh, in 1989, and uh, you know at that time there was no Emirates flying to 
to buy and you had to literally go to Johannesburg from you know from Durban to Johannesburg and to Jeddah which is the capital of which is one of the not the center capital but one of the, the airport in Saudi Arabia there was no direct flights so we had to go via Nairobi and from Nairobi you had to go to Jeddah and i remember uh, also you couldn't get your visas at that time you know i'm talking about 89 it was still apartheid so your there was no there was no embassies in south africa at that time and you had to get your visa on arrival and that was really you know i remember the first trip i mean i was about 11 years old when i went on that trip and um, i recall that you know being a small boy like you, you you obviously have to get used to a lot of uh what can, you know like different time zones and on top of it like you know where you traveling at night you're not sleeping very well you're tired you reach but you got to still had energy to move and i don't know i started crying it was very challenging and um uh, anyway but we went through it and of course as time went on things of course got better when i remember in the 1993 trip when i went that time you know the we went straight to jeddah from johannesburg and then when i went for hajj uh, even we went to 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 to, to, to medina from there so things have improved since then um <clears throat> i just want to well look generally the logistics uh fortunately well this year when i traveled to uh, palestine and turkey it was actually very easy because what you do now is that you submit the copy of your passport and you get your visas online so that was quite uh, simple and even tickets all that now is a lot so easier and fortunately because i went with my uncle so you know he obviously had did, did, did everything as far as you know he 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 arranged the travel agent and you know all that type of thing um but going for hajj uh, uh that that really is you have to plan a few months in advance and uh, of course when i went the first time in uh, 2003 at that time there was no quota system you know in the sense that uh, anybody could go at any given time but also the thing is that because there's so many people you know it's uh, well it's once a year and it's like <coughs> it's like you know over a million or million or two million people that are there at the same time so there's lots of logistics especially with the fact that you got to get your vaccinations and you got to uh you know send your passports for visas and leave alone that you got to also carry a lot of things not not what i'm saying because you got you stay in, in the days of hajj you stay in camps so you got to carry like a separate bag for camps and of course clothing it's you know you got to really plan way ahead uh sorry you want to see that can i carry on carry on carry on okay and that was when i went in 2003 for the hajj uh the the just just to also mention about the hajj in that it's it's actually a it's one of the five pillars of our religion and it's uh something that is compulsory upon a person if they can afford it 
right? If you are a Muslim and you are poor, you can't afford it, you're excused. Right? That's something very important for me to mention. So what I'm saying it's only if you can afford it, uh, you know, that's when you are, it's compulsive. It's only once in a lifetime. Uh, when 2003, what happened, that's when my parents decided to take me. So that's when I went in. But then subsequently, I got married in 2011. So then Asma hadn't been. So I decided to take her. Then uh, from about uh, just this, uh, when the time I went the second time, that's when they introduced this, they started introducing this quota system where you have to, uh, the way it works that you got to like submit your name to the, uh, this organization, it's called South African Hajj and Umrah Council, Sahuk it's called. So they normally, what they do is that they look at, uh, they, they, you know, you obviously submit your name there and you've got to wait in line. And they, of course, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a, uh, give you an accreditation. So in 2016 uh, was when Asma and I were accredited to go for Hajj. And uh, at that time, uh, that's when I went with her in 2016. One of the other things that I'd like to mention also between the Hajj of Phoenix and 2003 was <coughs> when I went in 2003, uh, when we were returning from Hajj, we went, um, uh, we, we actually came from, we came via a very lo long route. Uh, we went from Jeddah, the airport, we went to Addis Ababa, that is Ethiopia. So we went there, we spent a few hours there. Then we went to Zimbabwe and spent another few hours there, then to Johannesburg, another few hours, and then back to Durban. So it was quite, uh, but fortunately, this one here, when I went in 2016, it was fairly easy because of Emirates, and we flew via Dubai, and we came back to Durban. Um, okay, I don't know if you want to ask anything else, but I've obviously... <laughs> I'm I'm curious to to know how easy it was for you as a visually impaired person on Hajj, how easy it was to navigate the the, the terrain and the, the the Hajj experience. Okay. <laughs> um the, the the fortunate thing is that I went with my family. So that's a big help in the sense that they obviously, you know, uh, uh, guided me through, you know, to the mosque and, you know, all the, the real challenge came is, you see, let me just, uh, in the, there are the, the, the days of Hajj, uh, which is actually five days, we have to go sleep in camps. Now, for the first Hajj, it was fine because my dad was with, and also my dad's cousins and all were with. So, because what happens there, you get, you, 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 you know, you, you, you separate, men and women separate into tents, you see? Yes. So, in that instance, when my dad was there, it was okay. When I went the second time, then my mom and them, fortunately, the travel, the agent was very good. Uh, you know, you one of the things, sorry to mention also, when you go for Hajj now, especially with this new system, is you have to go with a registered travel agent. 
You can't like, you know, book your own travel, you go on your own, which helps a lot when you use an agent. What happened? The agent, they book your hotels, they book your own logistics, they take care of, which is a big help, especially when you go to another country, you know. Um, <coughs> so, <coughs> sorry. Um, so what happened there was uh, in this uh, this thing, then I obviously, my mom and then with the agent arranged someone to be with me. They actually had to hire someone and paid somebody just for that few days of Hajj. Because like, if I need to go to the, because what happened when you sleep in a tent, the toilets and stuff are far. And also the, um, you know, like food and everything, they were obviously doing for you. And because you were in this completely separate tent, you know, you need help, uh, you know, all the time. So, although the, there were people, I mean, that were within my group that were helping out, but I think my mom and all felt that rather get someone that's, you know, you hire someone full-time that if you need him, he's there at your beck and call, you know? So that was one of the things. And uh, one of the biggest challenges uh, that you find in, in, in the Hajj is because it's a lot of people. So there's lots of cues, lots of... Uh, you've got to go through a lot of pushing you know where sometimes you know you're walking in areas you're walking on the streets especially within the days the five days of hajj it's very very busy everywhere and uh of course even in the in the build-up to it you know the days prior to that it's also the mosque and all that is very very busy and you have to literally you know maneuver yourself around and be careful that you don't get pushed that you fall down that's um because it's it's thousands of people it's not you know yeah and um also the uh we we had like uh uh there was one there were two instances and and this happened in the first and the second where we were going from one area to the next in the bus and because the traffic we were like five six hours inside and you just literally moved at a snail's pace or slower than a snail's pace, if I can, you know, mention that. It's very, very slow because of the amount of people. Yes. And sometimes you find that uh, the sad thing is also, and you feel sorry for the fact, a lot of poor people come for the Hajj who obviously can't afford it and sometimes are sleeping on the street. And, I mean, you can't do anything. It's like, you know, you have to try to maneuver yourself past it. It's, it's you know, that that's when you... When you see people like that coming in such poor conditions, then you realize that, you know, how grateful you should be, that you complain about everything, waiting in the bus, all that is, is, is nothing. It's absolutely nothing compared to what other people go through. I can understand that, yes. It sounds like then, just to kind of um, summarize what you've been saying, that there are accommodations that can be made to facilitate the, the, the whole experience of, of going on Hajj, but that it is quite challenging because of the numbers of people. That must be quite nerve-wracking with a vision, someone who's visually impaired because you've got all these people around you. There's um, that impacts on your ability to move around and navigate because of the uncertainty of what's going to happen with so many people being around. Yeah, no, no, no. <clears throat> you know, it, 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 it but I, I, I always, one of the things was that, 
And and this is what I tell a lot of people that want to do it. The preparation is very, very important. You have to prepare yourself psychologically to understand that, listen, this is a journey where lots of patience is required. You see, so the thing is that as much as, you know, you deal with the crowd, you have to, you know, have patience and, you know, uh, what 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 I'm trying to look at. Essentially, just go with the flow. That's all. You know, when you when you when you want to travel, or I mean, and, and I'm sure this applied not only to the Hajj. I mean, any when you want to travel overseas or any type of thing, there's a lot of uh, you got to really give and take because you're dealing with different types of people. Like uh, I mean, a, a typical thing. I'll give you an example. Like okay, I, I'm not digressing, but. When I went on my trip to Turkey just in September, um, we were at the hotel, Asma and I, and Asma wanted a prayer mat. You know, so we obviously phoned reception downstairs. And I mean, I don't know what the guy understood. He brought a packet of wine gums. Oh, my word. A prayer mat and a wine gum. So well, what I'm trying to say is that, and, and it's a similar thing there also because you see, although I mean, Saudi Arabia is Arabic, people, a lot of people, they do, are people that speak English. But at the same time, there's lots of people that don't speak either. So you have to, you know, uh, really, uh, you know, be tolerant and, I'm trying to think, sorry, I'm just, uh, you know, be, you know, I understand the fact that, uh, you know, traveling is, Rather look at the experience, you know. Absolutely. There's there's certain things when we're traveling that we can prepare for, but ultimately, with there's a need to be flexible. There's a need to adjust to whatever we find at any given moment, isn't there? Yeah, like at the building in the Hajj. I mean, you obviously have to. The toilets are far. You gotta you gotta actually time yourself in the sense that sometimes there's big queues that you've got to wait outside. And that's what you have to do because there's so many people. Yes. You yeah. know? So you have to time yourself. You're going to go to the toilet. What time you're going to go to the toilet? You're ready for the prayers, everything. You have to really time yourself. And I think that comes with experience and awareness and just an understanding of the reality of the situation in which we find ourselves. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing also, if I can just, uh, I don't know if I'm directly from the Hajj and if you don't have any more quick on the Hajj, because I obviously, uh, you know, also want to mention, uh, you know, the, 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 like even when I went to Palestine last month, I mean, that also you have to prepare the fact that it's, it's, it's not, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's a war country. Yes. And they, uh, at the airport, you have to wait. Fortunately, my uncle that was, an, you know, is an ambassador, so it makes a bit different because you obviously, you know, like when you go with him, you, you know, they don't search because they, they usually got to carry a passport with you all the time, and they keep there's always checkpoints, you know, checking, and um, especially like you know when you get there and you have to go to the checkpoint before you go in, and they take your passport, they question you, who you're going to stay with. Where are you going? You know, who's the person that you are staying with? 
I know we went to Palestine, like my uncle, well, nobody, no, nobody had the address of my aunt where she stays, the embassy address where my uncle works. And then you can't, you're not allowed to make a phone call from there to them to check. They tell you, you can't phone anyone. You got to, lucky my cousin, eventually, eventually then they, somebody, one of my cousins, whatever it is, got the address and asked them, you want it? They said, no, we don't want it now. We don't need it. So that's also an experience when you go to a country that, that, that is always at war, you know, it's like everywhere there's checkpoints and everywhere you see soldiers, you know. Uh, that trip must have been quite an extraordinary experience. <laughs> yes, it was. And um, it, it was actually very, very uh, good. It was interesting. Uh, fortunately, I mean, as I said, because my uncle, you know, is an ambassador so compared to other people, you know, we didn't have much harassment, uh, you know. But where I saw it was there was an area called Hebron where there's a mosque there and they they like have a uh what can i say there's like partitions between where the the palestinian areas and the jewish areas are and at one point you know when the guy took us he told us that please do not go to this one area here they'll shoot you if they see you as a foreigner so that's how i'm just sharing with you this is what that when you have experiences like that it's very scary, you know. It must be have a very profound impact on the way you think, the way you act when you're traveling. And I think the same is true for, for any type of travel, although perhaps it's more extreme. It's more, you're more aware of it when you're traveling yes. in a, a, a country at war. Yeah, yeah. The research ahead of time is such an important part of travel, particularly for those of us with disabilities. And I think a lot of what you've mentioned really does speak to the fact of the need to do the research ahead of time so that you know what you're going to be expected to do. You know what's expected. You know as much as you can how to prepare. Would you agree with that about the need for 100%. research? Look, that, that's exactly what helped me a lot in the Hajj. You know, if I go back to that, that's really what helped me a lot because you must, I, I tried to read about Hajj, what's it all about. And I think when you have that spirit in mind, then you find, then you, then you actually, I mean, I don't want to, I'm going to put it very bluntly, but actually complain less because you know that you're there for a purpose. Yes. You see, so what I'm saying is, if you know you're there for a purpose, then things will be fine. Uh, but there are going to add on, there were also some uh, positive things and some experiences I had. Like when I went to the UK in 1996, there I found the, uh, the help that they gave to blind people was fascinating. Uh, I was forced to visit the Royal National Institute for the Blind in, in London. And of course, when I saw all the lit, you know, what they produce and all that, it was really amazing. And even when I went to the place called Madame Tussauds. The Wax Museum. They, yes, the Wax Museum. And I remember there, they gave us even a Braille guide when I entered there, you know, to show us... Uh, 
all the different uh, places. And what was also nice when I went to Turkey, uh, in, so before I departed, I went to Turkey for two days. So we went to the Topkapi Museum. And uh, well, this we didn't know about. Uh, but if you're a blind person, they don't charge you for entrance fee. So Asma and I were allowed in, you know. I find and, uh, I find that's quite common um, in in countries that I've visited as well. That often a person with a disability and or their helper is able to get a discounted entry into a number of different places. So there, there's yeah. quite a lot of awareness of that type of thing, and the the Braille guides as well. I find I found in a number of different places. So it's good. But to what know I saw there. in Turkey. Sorry. Carry on. Okay. What I saw in Turkey was that when I went to the museum, like there they have, they give you like a cell phone and every area that you walk there, like, you know, you enter, they give you a, a cell phone with a set of headphones. And as you walk to each, uh, what you call this, to each section, then you press a num. they press a number and it tells you what's there, you know what type of, uh, uh, you know, the history of the, uh, you know, of the item or of the whatever is on display. So that was quite fun. That kind of audio guide can be very, very helpful as well. Yes. Yeah. Can we turn a little bit more generally to travel, and I'm, I'm talking both local or, or international, to look at some of the technology that you make use of to help you navigate and get around when you are traveling. I mean, I, I realize you were using some an, a, a new, a different GPS app that I hadn't heard of when you came down to visit Cape Town. So maybe you can tell what us a little bit one? about that. I can't that. remember what the name. I can't remember <laughs> the name of it. I don't know what name it was. <laughs> I'm not certain uh, myself. But what what technology are you currently using in that type of? Okay, look, locally, look, overseas, when I went, obviously, on my last few trips, I mean, I had my smartphone, of course, in 2016. Uh, there was mostly, well, there's an app called Muslim Pro, which gives us our times of prayer. And uh, other than that, uh, yeah, that's it. And WhatsApp, I mean, WhatsApp is more to keep in touch with everyone. <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's the one that I would use. Uh, what was nice was locally, when I went to Cape Town last year, of course, in around Durban, Asma and I use the Uber a lot. Uh, we use that quite frequently in Durban. Uh, in Cape Town, I used Uber a lot, and that was a very big help because I, I and I remember when I went to Cape Town the time when I went to meet you at the airport when I phoned um, your our dear friend Khalil from uh, AccidentalMuslims.com. He was going to fetch me, but he was obviously a bit delayed and we were still going to be a few minutes away with the traffic and everything. So I said, let me take the Uber and go. First he was, then I said, let me, then, and I found that with the Uber, at least like, you know, I was able to quickly get to my hotel. So that was nice. Um, yeah, essentially locally, that's what I, you know, I use Uber and also, well, of course, the Muslim Pro is the one that I use because fortunately it's an app that Every area, it gives you your prayer times, you know. And um, that's also, uh, you know, very, very handy. I'll just show you an experience. When I went to Pretoria in 
January, I had to go for my cousin's wedding. And I used the Uber app there. And that's where I had a bit of challenges in the sense that there was one instance where I booked Uber from my hotel. And for some reason, the Uber driver couldn't find the place. Now, you are in a foreign, for, I was fortunate that my parents and all were down. They were going out, so I, had, you know, I could cancel the ride. But the thing is that the driver couldn't find the, find the hotel. And I don't know where the hotel is. We're not even from the area. You know, we're not even living, you know, first time going to this hotel. And you don't even know where, how to, how, how to direct the driver. Then after that, when I went to visit, I went to visit one of my teachers. And then I was coming back. Uh, for some reason, the route that the driver had took him to a took it took us took us to a dead end. So because he said this, the shorter route showed the dead end. You know, on Google Maps it shows you the shorter route is the, is the dead is the one to the to, to to you know like not a not a what can I say like an uneven road. But eventually, he took the longer route and we reached the hotel. But in that, time, my family is worried. Where are we? Fortunately, Uber has the app, the, the option where you can, you know, for security, you know, share your location. So at least that was helping quite a bit. But we reached the hotel and we had to were late for our appointment for lunch. And, you know, so that was some of the challenges that I had, you know, with regard to the local uh, travel. It's, it's so true, I suppose. A service like Uber or even using a GPS app, they are only as good as the maps and the information that's available. And there can be that yeah. type of, of, of challenge, yes. What kind of advice would you give to a service provider, be it an airplane, um, airline, or a hotel, a service provider who would want to make their services more accommodating to those of us who are visually impaired, where do you think they should start? Okay. Uh, just to go on the part on the airline, right? Uh, I think they need to look at the, the entertainment. Uh, in many times, we as sighted people obviously want to make use of entertainment facilities on the plane, right? Many a times you travel in long flights, and you obviously want to make use of the facilities. Uh, what I found, I don't know whether it's any other airline or what, because I, I know as I don't travel often, but when I went on to, you know, to Turkey and stuff, like sometimes the entertainment one was very, you know, it's like a touchscreen thing. So you have no options of what to choose in terms of listening to audio material or to music or to whatever. So you've got to keep asking someone and eventually when I saw it, then I got frustrated and I said, you know, I just leave it, you know, I don't think I'll use it, you know. So I think that's where the airline needs to improve a lot is making the entertainment more friendly, blind friendly. I think that's you're, the important thing. I think you're so right. I mean, there's a lot of focus is placed on on making the passengers as comfortable as possible. But if we as visually impaired passengers constantly need to ask for help accessing the the entertainment systems it does make us more dependent on people doesn't it yeah and also i think and and especially in you know as a tourist when you go uh well more on the airline itself you need to have people that speak english very well 
because sometimes your cabin crew has to be people that able to understand what your needs are, especially on a long flight. So I think that's one of the things that they probably need to do in terms of the airlines. Um, hotels, really, to be honest, I didn't have, uh, but, you know, um, that much of, uh, of course, you know, wherever I've stayed, I mean, I haven't really had any sort of, uh, you know, major issues, you know. So uh, there was an instance, I know, when we went on our first Hajj, <clears throat> where we had to stay in one hotel and go eat in the other hotel, because our package had food included. That was a bit challenging, but eventually, you know, in after a few days, then, you know, we got, uh, it was, we went, we moved the hotel where we were eating and we were staying. So at least that got sorted within one or two days. But I mean, other than that, uh, yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's all I can think of at this point. Well, it's, it, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm glad that you've had good experiences in the hotels that you've stayed in. Um, but I think the point that you raised about the entertainment systems on the airlines is a very, very useful point. Thanks for raising that. As a last question, what advice, no, often people with disabilities and particularly people who are visually impaired find it very hard to understand why we should get out of our comfort zones and travel to new places and go and experience the world around us. What advice, how would you inspire someone who is blind about why they should travel? What is there that you get out of travel that makes it worthwhile? Okay, I think to start off, <clears throat> many a times, I'm trying to look at my own experience. Many a times we hear about places on the radio, on podcasts, about places overseas, what they are like. You know, a person might describe, say, the UK or describe, say, the Hajj experience. I'm giving you an example, like for us, you know, I, 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 you know that, that particular thing. But <clears throat> it's always good to go and experience. When you experience it, you have your own experience. Because other people might describe a country according to their understanding and for what they've experienced. Maybe your experience might be a bit more different. Maybe you might see the world differently as another person would see it. So the only way that can happen is if you go to the place and experience, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the country, the travel. If you experience it, then you understand. Like now, for example, like I, I went to this trip and I came back. Now it gives me a whole different outlook of what Turkey is like, what Palestine is like, you know, and even, uh, you know, locally, when you go to visit Cape Town, for example, some people hear about Cape Town, Cape Town, such, but yet when you go and you, and you experience it, you know, you, 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 you create your, your own sort of, uh, your, 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 your own experience in terms of the way you, understand the country according to what you've witnessed. So I think in order to create your own experience, then you need to travel 
you know, whenever the opportunity arises. I think that's so true. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've answered it. I don't know if I answered correctly, but I don't know if I've given the right answer. There is no right answer. There's just your experience and, and what it means to you. So thanks for sharing that with us. As I said at the start of the podcast, I found this conversation to be really fascinating because it was so far outside my experience. I'd really like to thank Zachariah for taking the time to chat to us and to share his experience of going on Hajj as a person with a visual impairment. Right, now as promised, it's time for us to go and grab that cup of coffee. The Service Provider Spotlight is a segment where we showcase a service provider who accommodate the needs of persons with disabilities. In today's segment, we're spotlighting I Love Coffee, which is a coffee shop at 78 Strand Street in Cape Town. And what makes I Love Coffee so special is that it is run by deaf baristas and chefs. You are given clear instructions on the ways that you can communicate and order your coffees. And if you're brave enough, you're quite happy to be shown how to do so using South African Sign Language. I Love Coffee offers coffees, light meals at both breakfast and lunch. And every morning they have a coffee special that is really reasonable value. I think this is such a phenomenal enterprise. And since we know that employment is often so hard for persons with disabilities, I absolutely love the fact that all the people employed and staffed at the coffee shop are hearing impaired. To find out more details about I Love Coffee, hop onto the Accessible South Africa website on www.accessiblesouthafrica.co.za and you'll find them under the Restaurants tab. And if you're in Cape Town, I'd really encourage you to go along. We've almost come to the end of our time together for this episode of the podcast, which means it's time for our travel quote. Our travel quote for this episode is taken from an icon in the blindness community, that being Helen Keller, who said, Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. I want to say thank you so much for listening. It's great to have you with us and we look forward to seeing you next time around. Until then, happy travels. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za Editing by Craig Strachan using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow based on a motive by Lord Strachan. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on a different way of traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.